Turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 23. I'm going to read the first part of verse 7. And if you're, it's your first week here, we're the third week now on a series about sexuality and scripture. It's called Promises. And, and this is the month that the world celebrates Pride Month. And, and this is the month that we as a church want to look at what the promises of God are surrounding our lives with specific attention to sex and sexuality because we live in a world and in a society where we are getting further and further from the basis of the truth of God. Now, you might be here today as a visitor or a person who's not here every Sunday. I want to tell you that Citywide Church, everything that we do as a ministry, it is founded in Scripture. And as a believer, I have no choice. I have not the right to live my life any other way than that which the Scripture prescribes for my life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent. I have to live according to the Word of God because that is the route of salvation, right? The Bible says that, that I can live my life by every word that falls from the mouth of God. And a portion of that talking about in Scripture is the Bible itself, the Word of the Lord. And so as a believer, the reason I, I teach the things that I teach is because I look at the Scripture, I look at society, and I hold it up to the mirror, and I say, well, I have to mirror not what the world is doing, but what the Word is calling me to do. And how many of you know as a believer, that's getting a little bit harder every single day? Because, because society and or the world, and when I say the world, I want to define that really quickly. The world does not mean that God hates the world or hates people outside of the church because God does not hate anyone. God does not hate people outside of the church. I don't know if church folks think that they have the, the market cornered on God's love. Foolishness. Like the scripture is clear that for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that any who would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. When we say the world, we're talking about a, a perverse mindset, an anti-Christ mindset, anti-God thought process that is permeating our society, that the world in that context means anything that is against the truth of what God says. Now here's, I, I preface this entire sermon by saying this, you as a believer have to make a choice that either you're going to live according to God's word or you're going to live in duplicity, having half one foot in the church on Sundays, but agreeing with things that God does not agree with all throughout the week. And you're going to have to give an account to God about that. But as for me, Louis Burgos in my house, I want to I live according to the word. And now while I live according to the word, I'm not going to sit there and take my Bible and make it a baseball bat and beat other people who aren't. Right? At some interval, the, the, the church needs to understand that if they're not going to come to church, then be Jesus to them. If they're not going to read the Bible, then be the Bible. But if you're not the Bible, then how can, if you don't know the word, how can you live according to Christ? Amen? A lot of times we just take stuff in church that we've heard and we take it as truth and it probably is truth, but we can't back it up. We can't argue it from a biblical standpoint and we just say stuff. Now, Citywide Church as an organization, we really stick to, 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 to the biblical orthodoxy around same sex, around marriage, around gender and sexuality. We go by biblical standards and the whole church says Amen. But if you're honest, you know that in today's world, it's getting harder and harder. If you have, if you're honest, you know at one point or the other, you sat back and wondered, well, Lord, are you sure? I got a couple of honest people here. The rest of y'all are like, not me. I'm perfectly righteous, pastor. <laughs> Never done thought nothing wrong. It's really hard because as believers, we come to this place where we have to wrestle with the reality of the world and the reality of the word. And they're not always conducive to one another. And wherever we look, we, our society is permeated by sex. Some of y'all don't want to admit that. Y'all are like, really? <laughs> pa- 
pastor, I had no idea that that was going on. Yo, society is permeated. Everywhere you look is sex, but not above and beyond that. That was like 10 years ago. Now, everything is permeated with same sex. And or living your life however you please. You're identify as whatever you want. Identify as this, identify as that. Whatever you want, it's going to be okay. I was talking to somebody the other day. I was at the park with my dog, and I let him off the leash. And, and, and the, the sign says, you know, it's supposed to leash your dog. And this person, they're supposed to leash your dog. And I was like, well, he identifies as a boy. And, and, but that's kind of what the world does. You can identify as whatever you want nowadays because the, the world says that your happiness is of the utmost importance, right? And that, that's what my friend Pastor Dexter would call hedonism. I was making fun of him the other day for always using that word, hedonism. And hedonism is, hedonism is when you choose that your happiness is the highest goal of your life. Now, if you're new here, you probably haven't heard me say this, but I say this quite often, that the problem with happiness is that it is attached to the happenings of your life. And when things aren't happening the way you want them to, happiness is gone. But joy is rooted in Jesus. So joy is a much higher fruit to live for because it's rooted in Jesus. Now, as we look across the landscape of society and the world, we see that the world is adverse to God. There is no way that the scripts that go through Hollywood and all of the shows, they don't care about what the Bible says. It's not as if they sit there and look at the Bible and say, well, should we put this in this show? What does the Bible say? And every show is permeated some way, somehow, with sex, or every show seems to have a token same-sex person and or a couple. It's, it's inescapable, and now the kids' shows are coming with it, too. And the problem is, is that, that for Christians, the problem, I'll say that for Christians, the problem is that wherever we look, it's being force-fed into our society. And so as parents, we cannot ignore the conversation anymore because we have to address it. Because if we don't, there are curriculums for five, six, and seven-year-olds that are coming out that are trying to teach them about sexuality and sex in and of itself. And I said to my wife, I said, man, is it time to have the conversation? My kids are six and seven and she's like, it's getting there. And I'm, I, that, that, as a father, my heart is deeply troubled. But I have to talk to my kids about sex because if I don't, their teacher will. And won't show them God's way, they'll show them the curriculum's way. Guys, this is troublesome for parents. This is, this is why we need more Christian schools. This is why the, the church needs to expand. The kingdom needs, citywide should open a school one day so that it can be a place of hope for all children to preach the truth of God's word. Just prophesied a school, praise God. We should have a mindset for the culture of the kingdom to permeate because I'm worried about my kids. There's, there's videos all over social media of children's curriculums that have all manner of things that they should not even worry about until teenage years. But now it's being force-fed, Right? And so, and so the world's idea of tolerance is if you don't tolerate me, then you're hateful. As opposed to, hey, but well, you know what? I'm going to live my life and I'm going to do me. And if you want to live, I love you no matter what. I don't, listen, I don't care what you choose to, to do. I love you no matter what. As your pastor, if you leave this church tomorrow, I'm still going to love you. Don't mean, don't mean broken relationship with me. This is a place, right? Not the only place. There's tons of, I, I, I'll give you a list of good places on the way out. We need seats. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm kidding. My, my point is that the world's idea is if you don't, I hate you and you hate me. And that's so far from the truth because in reality, 
we deeply love, but we disagree. And we've gotten to a place in, in every spectrum, from politics to religion to Christianity and to, to same-sex stuff, that if you can't agree, it's now volatility instead of just, you know, meekness and humility. We're going to fight and argue, and I hate you. And I think that we have to, as a church, be the remedy of that with the love of Jesus. Now, the problem is that because this is all around us, as believers, we need to make a choice. Either we're going to think the way God wants us to, or we're going to think about what the world wants us to. Now, the key way that Satan got Eve to sin was he began to question what God said. And that's why it's so important for me as a parent to to begin to curve my kids' questions about what I say. I don't mind explaining to my kids why I say, but when there's something that's on repeat, like go to bed at this time, I don't need a why. I need an obedience. If we build it into ourselves to keep on questioning God, and God doesn't mind questions, he, it's the tone behind our questions. He don't mind, Lord, show me in your word. He don't mind that. But when you're like, God, I don't know if you're right. God's like, whoa. Last night, it's about 8.42 to be exact, and I'm like, all right, kids, it's bedtime. And my kids are observant, and, and Arya says, uh, it, it's still light out. And I'm like, and it's going to be light out at 5.30 in the morning when you wake up too for church. We have to go to bed because we have to wake up early for church. And she's throwing a tantrum. It's summertime. I don't ever have days off. You always have something to do. They're always in the car going here, going there. When am I going to have a day off? I'm like, well, not tomorrow. <laughs> so go to bed. And she goes upstairs, and because she's not tired, she jumps around and plays in the bed. And, you know, 9.30, 10 o'clock, like, go to sleep, kids. Come 5.30 in the morning, time to wake up, babies. I'm so tired. I'm like, that's why. That's why. But, but fast forward now to society today. The enemy's design, right, is to make us question God in interval places in our life, integral places, very important places in our life and instances that you begin to question things. For some of you, and here's the sad statistic, that probably at least four out of every ten people in this room were sexually molested somehow. That's a staggering statistic. If you're African-American... Seven out of 10 of you don't have dads in the home. If you're Hispanic, it's six out of 10. If you're white, it's four out of 10. And so when there's no man in the home to show you who you are, the enemy comes in, who are you? When someone has misplaced their affection in your life and molested you at a young age, whether a person of the same sex or the opposite sex, you begin to question who they are and who you are. I had a young man tell me, I was molested at a young age, but the problem was that I liked it, so I didn't know what to do with myself because it felt good. And so I grew up hating the fact that I liked what was done to me, but knowing that my innocence was stolen. Come on, that's a real topic right there. That's a real issue that we wrestle with in our society. And as society gets more perverse, they're trying to make more things acceptable. And as we look at this and people are wrestling with themselves and they're like, who am I and what do I do? The, here's the key, right? The key to life is, is that in walking with the Lord is that we have to think the way that God is calling us to think. That our thought life is of the utmost importance. The Proverbs 23, verse 7, in the King James Version, the first part of that verse says, as a man thinketh, so is he. In other words, it's saying this, is, is that your thought life will dictate the direction of your life. That as you think is who you really, really are on the 
inside, although you represent yourself as something else on the outside. And we have a lot of that going on in church. Where you might say amen during this sermon, but there are areas of your life where you are still in agreement with things that you know God does not like or love, and you celebrate things that God will not tolerate, and in your heart, you're like, yeah, 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 pastor, I get it, but, and God's like, there's a duplicity in us, and you can only stand before two opinions for so long, you can't serve two masters. And so either in the inner parts of our heart, we're going to think the way God wants us to, or we are going to think how we want. And here's what we know, whether same-sex sin, sexual immorality of, of a heterosexual kind, whether fornication, adultery, pornography, and masturbation, all sin, all sin in every category starts from within. It always starts in the heart and in the mind. Joyce Myers, a really famous Bible teacher back in the day, I don't know how she does today, but back in the day she wrote a book called The Battlefield of the Mind. And it's this idea that the battlefield for your holiness and your life with the Lord is lived out here, not here. That if you can beat it here, you can beat it here. That if you can get it on the inside, you can break down some things in your life. Have you ever took a moment to think what a healthy thought life seems like? Have you ever actually thought to yourself, hey, you know what, is my thought life healthy? I did this teaching years ago about about your speech with our leadership team. And, and the last kind of speech that I always cover is how do you talk about yourself or how do you talk to yourself? Because we never think about how we talk to ourselves. We think about how we talk to others. But do you guard your self-talk? Well, how about this? Do you guard your self-thinking? Your, your view of self, your thinking of self. Do you guard that? What does it look like to have a healthy thought life? I want to talk to you for a few minutes on the idea of a healthy, the promises of a healthy thought life. And the Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. This scripture is a window into what I call the operation of a man's heart because what the Bible is really telling us and saying is that who we are is really determined by the inner thoughts and contemplations of our heart, not in the actions of our hands. I'll prove this really quickly. Have you ever had your children, you ask them to help you and they, they don't want to help you at all. By the time they come to help you, they're stopping their feet and they're doing it with their hands, but their heart is not there. They do things begrudgingly. Maybe it's not your kid. Maybe I'm going to get in trouble today. Maybe it's your spouse. Let that settle in. Don't laugh too much if you're sitting next to your spouse. Especially if you're a man, don't ruin your Father's Day, praise the Lord. But have you ever, come on, have you ever been to that place where you do something begrudgingly and you just, your, your hands are doing it, but your heart is not? Oftentimes, that's how we're living our life out with God. Our heart is not in it, but our hands are. And not because we don't love God, because we're so torn on these huge topics of, of whether homosexuality is a sin or whether heterosexual is the only way or whether we're supposed to have sex before marriage or not or is masturbation okay or is pornography okay and why is it a problem to God? James, the, the brother of Jesus, the, the, the epistle of James is not written by the, the apostle James. It's written by the brother of Jesus, and he writes this. He says, let no one, chapter 1, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot tempt with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. So here's the, here's, the, here's the thesis that we're working for today is that all sin starts here and here. I want to say that again. 
Some of you are here today, you're going to hear this sermon, and maybe same-sex isn't your issue, which is part of our topic this month, but maybe you're living a sexually promiscuous life as a male or female. Maybe you're sleeping around. Maybe you're living with somebody you deeply love and you consider yourself married, but you've never stood before the Lord and made a commitment. Newsflash, you're not married. Let that settle in. And, and God calls that, right, God calls that fornication, sinfulness, right? And, and the Lord is, is not, he doesn't point these things out to, to beat us up and to beat us down, because maybe you came into church or into Christianity in that condition, right? And my challenge to you would be, how can you reconcile it and make things right before the Lord? But here's the point that I'm making today, is that no matter what your sin is, it all starts right here. And I digress and pause for a moment to let you know that maybe you don't struggle with this right now, but at one point, every single one of us has struggled with some form of sexual lust or temptation or some form of sexual sin. But the issue with many church people is that once we get things together, we look down on people who don't have it together. And I want to challenge you that don't amen me because you're thinking about somebody else. Amen me because you're thinking about yourself. Either what you've been pulled out of or what you need to come out of. Because we got, we got some mess. We got some issues. And it's important for us as believers to understand that we got to deal with these issues. And you know what? It's okay to come to church with issues. I want to let you know that you don't have to come and be fake here. I don't want you to come well put together, but inside you're a mess. Nobody's going to be mad at you for bringing your mess to church. No, I'm going to say that again. Nobody will be mad at you for bringing your mess to church. God is looking for people who are going to be honest and open with him and, and to keep it 100% with him. Nobody goes to the laundromat and stands over there looking at people who brought dirty clothes. Why would you bring that dirty clothes over here? <laughs> Disgusting if you're bringing nasty underwear up in this place. Because we know that that's where dirty clothes go. This is where sins come. Real simple. We bring it here to deal with it and to let God work in our lives. Now, here's the thing, that sin starts from within, and all of us have gotten a sinful temptation at some point or the other, and if we don't stop it and, and speak against it, those thoughts fester in your mind. They fester in your heart, and at certain intervals, especially if you've been abused, if you've been fatherless, the enemy comes in at those vulnerable moments and deposits lies, and just because you have certain characteristics, it must mean you're gay, and so one kid at school he gives you a negative affirmation. He says, you are gay. You've been feeling some kind of way about yourself, and you begin to wonder about yourself. Or they spread a rumor about you, and they say that you slept with so-and-so. And so now, you don't have any self-respect or self-worth because nobody thinks high of you anyways, and so you start living a promiscuous life. Or maybe you don't have a dad or a mom in your life, and you're looking for love in any capacity you can, and you go out, and you are searching for it, and you're giving the best of you to people who don't even want the rest of you. And you're dealing with this over the course of your life, and you grow into an adult, and you're struggling with all these different areas, and you have baggage, and you have issues, but it all starts with your thought life and how you think about yourself. Listen, how you think about yourself is important because you need to agree with who God says you are. If you don't, you're going to live in limbo for the rest of your life. You're going to live wondering, being curious about things, and not every person is built the same. Just because you're different don't make you that, that, you're, that you're this or that. It don't make you, just because you're built different don't make you gay. If you look at the Bible, if you look at the scripture, you look at someone like Jacob, he was with his mommy in the kitchen and cooking. He was in touch with some other stuff because you won't find me in the kitchen cooking and doing all that stuff. His twin brother Esau was out there hunting and killing. The Bible calls him a man of war. 
they were both equally men in God's eyes. You, you, can, you can be in touch with fashion and arts and not have to be stuck in a world or a sexuality that God doesn't call you to. You can be other things and not have to be what the world says you are because God takes, he's so cool, he takes a portion and piece of himself and deposits it into every single one of us that we can live out who he is in that capacity. And our job is not to be the same because that would be boring if everybody was like you. It might be problematic. Right? If everyone was like me, that's going to be an issue. Affirmation from my wife. If everybody was like me, it's going to be a problem. It'd be too much coolness to handle. Clean that up real quick. But God wants us to be different. But being unique doesn't mean that you have to be categorized by what the world says you are. How do you guard your thought life is going to be important. We look at the scripture and we see someone like David who was a poet and a killer. He was Esau plus Jacob. He'll cook the food, then poison it to kill you. Like he, David was, the Bible says he couldn't even build a temple because he killed too many people. When it came time to build the house of God, God says, David, not you. Why not me? You got too much blood in your hands. You killed way too many people. But David was the one who would sit there with his little harp, his little guitar on the side of the mountain, just him and Jesus, love songs all day. Somehow, like, something wrong with that dude over there. <laughs> Society today would judge him. They would categorize him. He must be Dominican. There you go. He must be Dominican. But the world will... Ca- but people do that. Oh, because if you're here, you must be this. Are, are you mixed with that? Are you mixed with this? And the world would try to categorize you in any capacity it can to keep you outside of what God says that you are. But here's a really... Key question for our lives, who does God say we are? If you begin to work with who God says you are, whether Dominican or not, (laughs) he's going to bless your life. There's got to be this place where you come to God and you understand. Here's point number one today, right? Here's point number one for you today. I I preach you three points. Here's point number one, that our inscape determines our landscape. That what we believe in our hearts and how we think about ourselves is going to determine how we live out our lives, y'all. If you begin to think that, that sin of any category, whether sexual or not, is okay, you're going to live that out in your life. And many of us, we knew at certain intervals in our life we were doing something wrong, but we did it until the conviction died. We did it until the conviction, until somebody confronted us with the word of God, or God himself came and said, listen, bro, but I had to clean some things up. The, the enemy of our soul would have us to believe that agreement with the world is peace on earth. But God would say that when we agree with him, that's true joy. I want to challenge every single one of you that your your identity and who God says you are and your sexuality, it's not for the world to decide. It's for us to agree with God because God has already decided. He said to the psalmist, he said, while you were in your mother's womb, I still knew you, formed you and fashioned you. And many of us, we declare one thing with our mouths, but in our hearts, we have a confliction in our hearts about what we truly believe. And we agree with people all the time on sinful matters, but in church, we'll say amen. But in our hearts, we're still taking in all of our friends and affirming all their negativity rather than saying, hey, I don't agree with your life, but I'm going to love you irregardless. That's not going to change regardless of how you live your life. I'm going to love you. And I'm going to be here for you. And I'm not celebrate everything you celebrate, but I'm going to celebrate my love for you. And I will always be present. 
I will always be present. I will always be with you. I won't turn my back on you. I had a friend of mine who was a very close friend who left the church and decided, I'm going to live this homosexual life. And then he invites me to Thanksgiving dinner. And what do I do? I go to show you. I'm not here to celebrate what you're doing, but I'm here to tell you I deeply care about you. And I love you. And if I want to ever have a chance of reaching you, I have to make sure that my light remains pure in your life. I have to be able to love you. But what I think on the inside about me and myself and sex and sin and all those things, it's going to determine how I live out my life. Young men, you can only lust for so long before you become a fornicator. Husbands, you can only lust for so long before you become an adulterer. You have to guard your thoughts. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. It's out of the heart. If your thought life isn't right from your heart life, how can you live it out in a godly way? If you're wondering why you're struggling to walk with God, what are you thinking about? What is in your heart? What is in your life? Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount teaches us about the power of our thoughts. Matthew 5, 27, you have heard it, that it was said you shall not commit adultery, right? But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus elevates the old way and says, even if you think about it. I've come to the place where I just think that our thoughts are as loud in heaven as our words. I think our thoughts are as loud in heaven as our words are in the earth if Jesus says that even my thoughts can cause me to be in sin. God is looking at my thoughts. It's what's inwardly happening that will determine what is going to outwardly take place in my life. And some of us are living in this place of duplicity, this doubleness, right? This double-mindedness uh, where we're, we're saying one thing, but we know in our hearts, or we know it to be sin, but don't care and ignore it and still live how we want. I want to challenge you. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, that there is instability in your life when you are double-minded, when you are one foot in the church, one foot in the world, one foot in the, in, tell me you are two feet in the world and one heart in the church. And you love God, but you can't live it because it's too hard. But our inscape determines our landscape. What are you thinking about? Your life is headed in the direction of your thoughts. Now, the culture that we live in now, the world we live in today, every manner of immorality and sexual sin is telling you to do it, run free, have fun. And here's a description to pay for it. Go to this place to do it. Uh, go here to make it legal. Do this, do that. And while the Lord is standing over time and eternity saying, I still have the last say. And for, as a believer, I have to put my thoughts under the mindset of Jesus Christ. What are you thinking about? I want to challenge you that what's in here determines what comes out of here. Many here might find yourself in some place of sin struggling, whether sexual or any other kind of sin, and maybe you're addicted to sex or pornography or any type of thing that God, um, he looks at and says, hey, I don't want you to be doing these things for these reasons. I'm telling you today that you're, what's, what's here, what's here, what's in your heart and your mind, if not put in check, will keep you bound up in sin. I said it in week one, what we don't restrain becomes chains. It becomes chains in our hearts and in our lives. Now, I want to tell you in advance that my second point might seem like a really big oversimplification of a very complex issue, like I told you in week one, but I'm going to give it to you anyways and work it through it. Amen? 
Point number two is this. The key to being free is to agree with God. The key to being free in your mind and in your heart of any sin, let alone sexual immorality, is that you have to begin to agree with the Lord and ascribe to what he says as truth. Because once you receive God's word as truth, what begins to happen is you have to take that word and put it into your life and then live according to that word of God in your life. You have to agree with God. That may sound way too easy. It may sound way too like simple, but I want to tell you, we've overcomplicated it. Either God is true or God is not. Either God is a liar or God is a man of his word. Either his word is right or throw the whole Bible out. Either his word is true and we're going to live by it because he knows what's perfect and righteous or we're going to choose our own path. We're going to try and blaze our own trail and be far from God at the end of it. What the enemy is looking for is he's looking for the, the, the smallest amount of agreement in your heart about sin. He's looking for the smallest amount of agreement. If he can get just a foothold, he'll take a stronghold. Give him an inch, right? The old adage, he'll take a foot. Give him a foot, take a stronghold in your life. He's looking for any agreement for us to stand there. But why? Well, I just don't understand. Isn't love and isn't this and isn't he wants us to question God? And then we get to this place where we begin to celebrate things that God says he won't tolerate. But if we begin to agree with what God says, and Paul writes this to the church in Rome in Romans 12, verse 1, a familiar scripture, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And I pause for a moment to let you know that if you're going to live this Christian life, it is sacrificial in nature. You have to sacrifice your sins. I want to say that no, no amens there, and praise God. Hopefully someone on the online says amen there. Praise God. You have to sacrifice your sins. Your, your sin. You have to lay it down. You gotta, every man in this room has the capacity to be perverted. We have to lay that down. Every woman has the capacity to be perverted. We have to lay it down. Every single one of us has the capacity to sin, but we have to lay it down. He says this, give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. And many here are listening, like I've heard this verse before, but I've told you before again, it doesn't matter what you hear, what are you doing with what you hear? He says this, I want you to shape your life not around the world, but around the word. I don't want you to shape your life around the world. I want you to shape your life around the word. What does the word say? My thinking has to be shaped and sculpted by the word of God, right? It's not too complicated. I have to allow what God says to be my level of truth, to be my baseline, to be my ground zero. When I agree with God's word in spite of how I feel or in spite of how society is challenging God's word, I walk in truth. He says, you're going to renew your mind. If you renew your mind, it's going to cause a transformation. This word transformation in the Greek is the word metamorphosis. You might have heard that word in school, talking about a, a caterpillar that goes into a cocoon and comes out as a butterfly. It's an inside-out change. The world is a shaping around it, but the scripture and the word shapes you from the inside out. And God's saying, I want you to live life how I say I want you to live life according to my word. And you're like, well, what does the word say? 
you go read it and find out. The responsibility of the pastor is to lead you to the well. The responsibility of the listener is to draw from that well. The responsibility of the shepherd is to bring you to the green pastures and still waters. The responsibility of the listener is to partake of what has been presented to him. Because the shepherd, no matter what, he's going to keep on going. And either the sheep will follow because they know a shepherd's voice and what he's provided them is good, or it is not good and they won't follow. Because Jesus is a perfect shepherd, I can know that where he leads me to will cause a renewal in my mind. Sometimes you have to change how you think about something. And that's a hard thing to do because when you think about something, you might not know this, a little bit of science for you. When you think about something long enough, it literally creates a pathway in your brain through, through you know, different nerve connections and synapses. It, it's like a chemical reaction and electricity. It's a pathway. And so you think about certain things, and it always goes through that pathway. And what the Scripture is really telling us was, is to build new pathways. Because there are some of us who, at one point, we thought things were okay. But upon further review, we look at the Word of God and realize, oh, that's not exactly what God wants. Those are the things I'm talking about here. Renew your mind by filling it with the Word of God, by taking the Word of God and allowing it to be the very thing that you agree with over the Word of the world. What does it matter if the world says all these things are righteous and perfectly okay if the Word of God says they're not? See, what we need is a revival in our thinking, church. We need a revolution in our thinking to root and ground ourselves again in God's word so that you can be, find yourself free. Now, if you struggled in and out of freedom, I guarantee you that you struggle with your, with your study time with the word of God. I guarantee you struggle with your prayer time. If you find yourself in and out of freedom in terms of sin and bondage, you probably struggle in some area with your time with the Lord, right? Because the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the vision of soul and of spirit, no joints of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God discerns your thoughts and knows how to shift them. When I read the word, I align myself to the word of God. During small groups, I was doing a husbands-only small group. Shout out to the husbands in the room. And we were doing a, a, a marriage kind of thing. And one of the things I learned in that first small group really stuck with me. And I had to take that. And I, I, I've been running my life through that and understanding. Here's what it taught us. It's real simple, right? It took me 10 years to figure it out, right? That if I win a fight with my wife, I still lose. Because the goal of marriage isn't winning, it's being won. And so even if I win the fight, I lost. And so now my wife thinks she's always right, because I'm not going to fight. I'm kidding. That's a joke, man. <laughs> she was shouting me down the first service like, amen. Yeah, that's right. I had to get it real quick. But here's the deal. Here's the truth of the matter, right, is that when you, in marriage, choose to let something be worth you being divided, you've already lost. And so I've taken that, and I'm trying to find every area of peace and unity I can, even when I'm about to, I feel the argument coming. I, I, don't, want, I don't want to do it. Lord, help me. Jesus, help me. Because be, being right isn't worth it. Being one is worth it. But I had to change my mind. I had to renew my mind. Husbands, you know, that's hard. You have to renew your mind. Now, in every area of your life, it's hard to have to renew your mind. You have to starve out your sin, starve out your lustful desires, 
and fill your life with the Word of God, allowing the Word of God to renew your mind day by day. Here's a recap real quick. Our inscape determines our landscape, and the key to being free is to agree with God's Word. But you have to know God's Word in order to be able to agree with the Word of God. To go against the, the negative thoughts, the lies of the enemy, the false identity the world places on you, to be able to look at the world and say, I don't care what you say, I know who I am because God has given me an identity that the world cannot take away. And doing this, I'm telling you, it's not easy. I know it sounds easy from a sermon standpoint, but fighting sin in your mind with the word of God is a full-time job. But once you start and grow that area of your life, the Lord begins to stretch you in that area. And when you create those new thought processes and a renewed mind, they try to get you somewhere else because that won't work anymore. Because you've closed down some highways and you've raised up some new ones and said, I'm going to think this way because God wants me to. The question then becomes, well, Pastor, you said that this sermon was about the promises of a healthy thought life. So what's the promise that God gives me? If I'm willing to fight, right? Because some of you, this is going to be a fight for your life to fight for your sexuality, going to be a fight for your life to walk out of a ways of living that you have come to terms with as being okay when in your heart the Lord is saying, hey, this is sin. How are you going to break that addiction to pornography when every night you get the craving? How are you going to break these addictions to masturbation, both male and female, because nowadays in this culture, it's all an issue with every gender. How are we going to get free of the pits that we've put ourselves in? And if I do that, if I go this route, like, what's in it for me? Because at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, we often look at what's in it for me. I think that the, the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 26.3 are some words of real con consolation for any person who's looking to really walk with the Lord. He says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You put him in perfect peace. His mind is saved in you because he trusts in you. Here's point number three. The promise of a healthy thought life is peace. And I know that sounds like, oh, that sounds elementary. It sounds like it's too, that's what, peace, that's it? Where's the rest? Oh, but this isn't any kind of peace, beloved. This is a peace that only God can give. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, my peace I live you, my peace I give you, but not as the world gives you. It's a whole different kind of peace. Wait, pastor, peace? Yes, peace. That when our mind is focused on God and fixated on righteousness, that when the word of God is my meditation, that when the thoughts come, I throw the word back at it. When my mind is fixed on the word and on God, that he will keep me in perfect peace. His mind, right? You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You may be here today, and you are neck deep in sin, and you're like, all right, uh, that's good for those people who got a little bit. What about me? I want to give you Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked, that might be you, forsake his way, and the unrighteous, listen to the word of God, his thoughts. That might be you. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Oh, when I think about abundant, I think about plenty. I think about enough, more than enough. I think about a lot. He will abundantly pardon, abundantly forgive. You see, a pardon is different than, than many. It's, it's, a pardon is 
deeper than just forgiveness. A pardon is like it never happened. Forgiveness is I remember. But a pardon? I've known a number of friends of mine who had to get their, their record expunged and look for pardons. And, and when you get a pardon, everything goes away. It never even happened. And God says, I'll pardon you. If you would turn to me, I'll pardon you like it never, ever happened. I'll make it all. And you may remember, but I'm going to forget it. I'll give you peace. This peace is powerful. This peace is a person. This peace is needed because you've been fighting with yourself for years. You've been fighting in and out of sin. You've been in this place, and God's like, I got peace for you, available to you about your sexuality, peace about everything in your life. Even though your feelings tell you opposite, I got peace for you. And if you would take this, if you would take my word, and you would reconcile every feeling you got through my faithfulness, and you would filter it, you would see I'm faithful, I'm true, and I have a better plan for your life than what you're living right now. And if you think you're happy now, could you wait until I bring you to a place of fullness and contentment? It's going to be a place of holiness and righteousness. Oh, I love the fact that it says you keep him in perfect peace. His mind is stayed on you. Because when my mind is stayed on God, it becomes God's problem to have peace. It says you keep in perfect peace. The responsibility is God's. The responsibility is not mine own. The responsibility for my peace is not in Lewis. It is in God. My peace is God's responsibility. It is not mine. My responsibility is the word on my mind, and he keeps peace at my door. The scripture says that when we live in sin knowingly and unrighteously, that when we do that, that when we live in sin, it says this, that we are enemies of God. Oh, but the Bible says that we will have peace. We will have peace with him. I want to challenge you that there's a peace that God wants to give you. And we get this peace by trusting God and taking all of our cares and fully trusting him without reservation, without wavering. He gives us perfect peace. This word perfect is actually in Hebrew, the word peace. In English, it truly reads, he gives us peace, peace. He gives us shalom, shalom. He gives us the deepest kind of peace. He gives us the realest kind of peace. It's a double portion, but ever present, perfect peace in your life. And here's why he gives you peace. Because after you fought the battle in your mind, you're going to need some peace. Because it's a battle to stay righteous, to keep your thinking holy. I wish you were honest. It's a, it's a battle to think about others the way God thinks about them, even when you want to say, that person sucks. And God's like, that's my son. You're like, oh, that's my daughter. Oh. There's no way to agree with God but hate his kids. He means a, a whole other kind of peace. Come on, would you stand with me? Whether you're watching online or in person, I want to tell you that there is a peace available to your life. There's a peace in your marriage. There's a peace in your home. There's a peace for the future God has for you. There is peace available to you. Would you bow your heads across the sanctuary? We're a little bit over time here, but the Spirit of God is moving and He's speaking to hearts and minds. And I want to challenge you in this moment. If you need any peace with God in any area of your life, not just in sexual sin, but in any kind of sin, and maybe you're struggling with sexual addictions and pornography and masturbation. Young men, maybe you're struggling with lust. Young lady, maybe you're struggling with lust. I want to challenge you today. 
that Jesus is still and always has been the answer. And that if you would allow him, peace is here for you. Come on, would you bow your heads? If that's you, would you lift your hand as high as you can? But there's no shame in saying, I need some help today, Pastor. Come on, this hand's up all over this place. And I want you to know that you've come to the right place because this is the house of freedom. But you are deeply loved and treasured by a God who has a perfect plan for your life. Father, you see and you know every hand and every heart that is raised. I believe with all of my heart that it is our inner man's desire to agree with you. But our flesh is weak at times, God. For no man sets out on purpose to set his life ablaze with sin. But in a moment of weakness, we constantly fall and give in. And if we're honest with ourselves, Lord, many of us, even after we've fallen into the same temptation over and over again, we feel like you could never forgive us. How could you love us after doing the same thing over and over? But the prophet Isaiah clears it up in Isaiah 55 when he says, if you would just turn from your wickedness, if the unrighteous would surrender their thoughts to him, that you will abundantly pardon. Oh, I thank you for your pardon, God. You would abundantly pardon us. Forgiveness like it never happened. A full washing of us. A clean slate. To be able to then come and put your word in our hearts. To be renewed in our minds. And so, Father, in this room, I pray right now that every hand that is raised who who their hearts are towards you, that you would give a pardon of your grace right now. And then above and beyond that, you would place in there a desire and a hunger for your word to be able to be renewed in our mind constantly. Lord, make this a church hungry for your word. Lord, make it a church hungry for your word. Lord, make this a church hungry for renewal in our minds. To be passionate about living according to your word and nothing else. Let that be our desire. I pray freedom over every person bound. I pray freedom over every person now. I pray grace and peace into every marriage being tested by, by adulterous thoughts and lustful thinking. Let not one more marriage be torn down by lust and adultery, God. But cover your sons and daughters with grace and mercy. That we would hold fast to your word and your promises. You give us peace if our mind is stayed on you. If our thinking is in your mindset, God. Help us to think like you to have a healthy thought life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Come on, the church says amen.